This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Father God, we thank you that we can come before you boldly, knowing that you hear us. Lord, we invite you into this place. We pray that you'll direct our conversations. I, I thank you for Lindsay. Thank you for this organization, all worthy of love and just amazing work that you're doing here across the states. And God, I, I pray that as we speak, that you direct our conversation so that we speak about only what you want today, so that those who hear will be touched and their lives will be changed forever. Thank you that everyone is worthy of love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Candid Life Podcast, where we turn our broken hallelujahs into melody lines of impact. And I am your host, Lydia Gargo. Today's theme, all worthy of love. And I couldn't help but think of the words of John 3, 16 through 17, which says, For God so loved the word that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And John 10, 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Today, I am joined by the founder of All Worthy of Love, Lindsay Fisher. From a girl, she was taught not to look homeless people in the eyes to a young woman who has dedicated a life to serving those living on the streets. Lindsay's story is one of complete transformation, obedience, and increasing desire to share God's love to those in society who are often ignored. All Worthy of Love is a justice-focused nonprofit organization burst out of that obedience that reaches out to men and women enslaved by street prostitution. Their vision is based on Isaiah 58, and the three strands of reach, rescue, and restoration motivate their mission. Lindsay Fisher, welcome to the Candid Life Podcast. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Wonderful. You know, I was deeply shocked and saddened by the statistics that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of modern day slavery and that human trafficking is the world's fastest growing criminal industry generating over 32 billion per year and 27 million people across the globe are in slavery you know nowadays they're saying that that number is even closer to 40 billion i mean it's just truly astounding the statistics that are encapsulating anti-human trafficking you know when you think of the fact that people are now commodity yeah and that was not God's intention right, right from the beginning, I, I think is deeply shocking and also very saddening. Right. So the work that you are doing is truly life-changing. And, and I applaud that you obeyed God in following that call. When I was reading your bio <laughs> briefly, what struck me was that you said from a young age, you were taught not to look into the eyes of the homeless. I yeah. thought that was a very, very interesting uh, statement that definitely caught my attention. And I was wondering why, what was it in your family 
I think um, it was more of just danger, you know, the illusion or perhaps the prominent thereof. I think that growing up in the outskirts of Detroit, we were just taught when we're driving to just keep our eyes forward and not look to the left and not look to the right and just keep our eyes forward um, out of fear of danger. Um, but also my mom and I were at a gas station once and had a a pretty memorable encounter with a man who was homeless. He was addicted to drugs. Um, he had shared that with us. And I think he made my mom feel very uncomfortable with me in the vehicle. And I was only six and I remember it like it was yesterday. I can see us in the car. I remember the entire interaction. It was something that really marked me in my life. And I think from that moment on that, um, I guess, indulging in conversation with individuals that we met on the streets was just something that we tried to avoid. And I think we tried to avoid it um, with good intention, um, you know, out of just a desire to remain safe. It wasn't anything ill, ill-mannered or anything like that, but it definitely was something that marked me as a little girl. Okay. So don't look in the eyes. And then all of a sudden, here you are you are looking into the eyes of the homeless. What was the turning point for you? I have never seen Jesus more clearly than I have through the eyes of a woman entangled in bondage. And so for the work that I get to do, primarily that's women that are entangled in prostitution. And I feel like when I look them in their eyes that I see who the Lord designed and created them to be, though they may not see that yet. Mm-hmm. Looking someone in the eyes is a form of respect. It's a value. It shows worthiness. It shows that you are engaged in the conversation, that you want to hear what they have to say. And I think that looking someone in the eyes, holding their hand, having an intentional conversation with them changes everything about your encounter with them. And I would say that looking someone in the eyes is now one of the most important facets of the ministry work that I get to do. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how the whole All Worthy of Love came into being. I first heard about modern day slavery and human trafficking and sex trafficking, labor trafficking, the whole bubble. Um, 11 years ago. And at that time, it didn't even have a name. It wasn't something that people were talking about. Um, The United States specifically was not participating in the trafficking in persons report, which means that the United States wasn't even tracking what human trafficking was in our own backyards. And so when I first heard about it, my mind was blown. Um, I listened to this man, Rob Morris, he's the founder of Love 146, speak at a local church in Michigan. And he just said two things that have forever impacted my life. He said that Americans alone at the time, now this is 11 years ago, spent $16 billion on Valentine's Day. And that that just really sat with me in a, in a weird way because Two minutes later, he said that human trafficking as a whole, the entire country was comprised as a $32 billion industry. And I thought, oh my gosh, like as one country, we spend half the cost of the entire enterprise of human trafficking for one day to hopefully show one person that they're worthy of love. And I just started doing the math and I thought, oh my gosh, like if we could redirect our spending on just Valentine's Day alone, then maybe we could actually make an impact 
and bringing freedom to individuals that are entangled in various forms of bondage. And at the very end of his speaking engagement, he said that ending human trafficking is not idealistic or naive, it's audacious, and it's people of audacity that change the world. And I walked out of that that evening, that talk, and I thought, God, I don't know what you're going to do with my life, but I want to be a woman of audacity. I want to change the world. And I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know what you have planned for me, but my answer is yes. And girl, if the Lord did not spiral everything, just like the red carpet and opportunity after opportunity and education after education and all these things just started clicking one after the other in like super fast tracked mode. And I'm going to give you the super brief version because it's a very lovely and long description. But this woman came up to me at church a few weeks later and she said, I really believe that the Lord is calling you to go to Thailand. And I thought, well, anywhere but Thailand, because it was just super far, 24 hour flight. I was like, I'm not going to Thailand. I do not feel called to go to Thailand. And I had just ended a Facebook. I started this Facebook event the day after I had heard Rob Morris speak and I called the event worthy of love. And I challenged my peers to redirect their spending for Valentine's day and donate to an organization that was showing that all people were worthy of love. And at the end of the event, it had gone viral. And so 11 years ago, viral was like, I invited all of my Facebook friends at the time, which was 600. So I probably only knew half of them in real life. And the event had gone from that 600 to over 7,000 individuals. And I was doing a radio interview and a TV interview. And I was talking to people in New York. And the resounding question was like, what are you going to do now? And I was like, well, nothing. Like, I'm not called to end human trafficking. This isn't what my life's mission is. Like I was just doing something in anticipation for Valentine's day. Like I don't have any other plans. And then when that woman came up to me at church, I was like, Oh gosh, please don't send me, please don't send me. I think I was just at the time afraid of the unknown. What would it look like? I had never intended to start a nonprofit. It wasn't a part of my 10 year plan. And that evening after church, I was just on the internet and I was researching facts about human trafficking, just trying to glean as much information as I could. And I saw a mission trip for anti-trafficking relief. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, this is it. This is what my next step is. And I clicked on it and the destination was Thailand. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh. And so I applied to the trip out of sheer obedience. And then I decided that I wasn't going to pray about it because if I didn't pray about it, the Lord would not make me go. (laughs) I was 23. And so um, the group leader scheduled an interview with me and it was an hour long block. And I remember pulling up to my college an hour before my class started. And I said, all right, God, I am not going to Thailand, but if I have to, you need to make it undeniably clear. And so 10 minutes into the call, the woman interrupted me while I was talking and she said, I'm so sorry. I've never done this before, but I just feel like your calling for this trip is undeniably clear. And so I went to Thailand because what else are you supposed to do? And I will tell you that the very first night we were walking through Pat Pong, which is the second most notorious red light district in the world. And it was awful. It was um, one of the worst nights of my entire life. And when we got back to our our place of residence that we were staying, we sat in a big circle and there was probably like 15 of us and we all went in a circle and we debriefed, you know, what was tonight for you? How are you feeling? And I was the last person. 
And so the 14 women that went before me, it very much was what they expected it to be. So surely I just did not do enough research. And when they got to me, I said, well, I hate men. So can we talk about that for a second? Because all I saw was white American men buying sex from 10 year old girls. And I was ashamed of my country. I was ashamed of my race. I was ashamed of the male gender. I was just, I was ashamed. And that night, the team leader prayed a very specific prayer over me. And she prayed that the Lord would give me a heart for the trafficker in the same way that he had given me a heart for the trafficked. And that has revolutionized my entire life. And now I will tell people when they want to join our outreach program that you're not ready to love the prostitute until you love the pimp because the two of them are in bondage and they're both worthy of being set free and that Jesus's blood did not shed itself selectively. It shed it for all of us. So when I came home from Thailand, I was like, all right, if I'm supposed to start this nonprofit worthy of love, then that is what I'll do. Lord, I'll be obedient. So I went on and I searched worthy of love and it was not available on any platform. And I thought, okay, I'm off the hook. Like, I don't have to do this. Sweet. You didn't have to convince me much. And that night I had a dream. It was the most vivid dream I've ever had before in my life. And dreams is not a a normal way that the Lord speaks to me. It was very uncommon. And in this dream, I saw the most massive hands I've ever seen before in my entire life. And on them were the fingerprints of every single person who's ever been misplaced through slavery. And what the Lord told me was that it's not enough that they're worthy of love. It's that they're all worthy of love. And so I woke up that next morning and I searched all worthy of love and I'll be darned. It was available on every (laughs) single platform. And I filed our paperwork literally that week. And we have been reaching and rescuing men and women entangled in various forms of abuse and trafficking for over 10 years now, every single week. I created an outreach program that works with drug addicts, individuals that are homeless, women that are prostituted, um, men that are prostituted, women and men that are pimping other individuals, the drug addicts, the gang member, you name it. I am in the worst of the worst and I am holding people's hands and looking people in the eye and telling people that God has not forgotten them. And I think for a lot of people that that's their reality. They don't find themselves to be worthy of anything, let alone God's love. And so that is the resounding message. If people just knew that God loves them and he has not forgotten them, then I think that the whole world would change. I want to do what the Lord has asked me to do. And I feel like if I keep saying yes, he keeps opening doors. And all he's looking at me for is just a willing heart. Amen. That's good. You know, folks, this is the Candid Life podcast. My name is Lydia Gago. And today our guest is Lindsay Fisher, the founder of All Worthy of Love. You know, how would you define human trafficking? I think human trafficking, simply put, is the exploitation of vulnerability. A whole population of individuals who have been exploited in their vulnerabilities, whether it is aging out of the foster care system, not being educated, being emotionally manipulated through false promises, false hope, love, um, drug addiction. I mean, gosh, I always think, you know, when I'm looking a woman in the eye that she's only one decision away from where I could have been in my own life. We are the same person. We just took one decision was different. And so I think that human trafficking, the exploitation of vulnerability, it is, um, 
you know, using what was intended for good for harm. And I think that it's the, the devil's playground and, you know, God's light is shining. And I think that he has called everyday people like myself, like you, everyday normal people to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I don't think that the Lord is going to relent until all of his people are set free. Amen. You know, I was just thinking before we came on a friend of mine who is at Woodside Bible Church, Carolyn, that's it. Carolyn, I believe it was. It's part of this organization. I remember when I went out that evening, we had made some, did he have some cookies and different <laughs> things as well? Yeah. You know, so we took them out to, to the ladies and the gents. Mm-hmm. And that particular evening was very, very marking going out to one of the pole dancing places down in Detroit, going in there with a group and just meeting the ladies. Yeah. I think what really struck me that day, though, was one of the women. You know, of course, it's an open place. They strip down, they put their clothes on and everything else. And then they go out and they dance. And she just stood there and just watching her that day in that place of vulnerability mm. really left such an imprint, you know, on my mind and my, on my heart. All of us are bare before the Lord, you know, yeah. but God doesn't cast us away. God welcomes us in and just seeing these men and women in this place and almost feeling like they didn't have any other way out. Right. Um, I mean, we prayed with them, we spoke with them and everything else. And they were very open to listen to what we had to say, but that image of this young girl just standing there in this vulnerable place, almost feeling like she doesn't really have a choice out of this really struck a chord with me. Good friend of mine, Annie, is the founder of Eve's Angels. And she goes into the strip clubs and has worked with Woodside in the past. And she's a survivor herself. And there is no better expert than someone who has lived that life and is on the other side and knows who Jesus has called them to be and what their identity is in Christ. And um, I look at Annie in such a profound way. And she's just an incredible woman. Because of course, you're not coming from that background. So somebody can say to you, well, how can you relate yeah. to, to the life of these women when you've not been through it? You talk about Annie who has gone through it and the Lord has delivered her. Sure. How do you comfort out of something that you yourself have not experienced? Somebody could have that argument. How do you relate? Yeah, I think it's a fair argument. I would say that um, I don't even compare even close to what a survivor could accomplish. Um, I struggled with drug addiction in my teen years. I was raised by a drug addict and I've always had a special place in my heart for individuals in addiction because the only reason why I'm not there is because I had an incredibly supportive family that saw that something was wrong and stepped in. And so I think that my relationship with God has sustained me and allowed me to go into the depths of brokenness and have something to offer because all I have is Jesus. And I believe, you know, Jesus didn't tell us to clean the fish and then catch them. He just said, catch the fish. It's not my job to clean anyone's life up. I mean, heck, I can't even clean up my own life. And so I think that um, the only thing that I have to offer is a deeply profound understanding that I need Jesus. And I think that he's the only solution that I have to offer. And so I don't go down on outreach and think that I have anything figured out. I go down to outreach and I just give whatever I have to offer, whether it is friendship, 
remembering someone's name, giving them the only form of good, loving touch that they have in a day through a good hug or holding hands in prayer, um, remembering someone's story the week after I see them again. Um, remembering that when somebody wants snow boots, then I'm sitting at Target, picking those up for them and bringing them to them, showing up with food. I think that if what we do when it comes to clothing and feeding and caring for the orphans and the widows, if that is Jesus in the flesh, then I'm just here to serve. And I don't really have anything else to offer, but a willing heart and um, I guess just a gentle spirit to care for people. That's great. I'm I'm wondering though, you know, when people do decide or they say, you know, Lindsay, I, I want to come off the streets. Yeah. What support do they have sure. so that when they decide to come out is available for them? So every person that we meet with receives a 24 hour hotline number that they can call in their times of need. If they want to exit the streets, if they want to get into drug rehabilitation, if they want to get into safe housing, we have a team that answers the phone and we go through an entire portfolio of questions in order to provide for them their best care. And so what we do is we partner with other organizations that are already doing really great things and we financially fund for individuals to enter into safe housing, restorative care, drug rehabilitation, um, family reconciliation, counseling, getting their driver's license, providing for their kids, showing up for CPS, court hearings, we provide and meet all of their needs, whatever it is. We've never had someone call our hotline that we were not able to help. But we have identified that there is a middle ground between when somebody calls us and they get into restorative care. And that is the need for a um, interim 24-hour safe place for them to go. And so our nonprofit is currently fundraising to open House 24 and what House 24 will do is offer a consistent, safe place for individuals when they want to exit the industry to go to before they get into a restorative care program. Because in the times of COVID, everything changed. Um, safe houses were taking in fewer people. They were requiring quarantine stays. They um, decreased their staffing, all sorts of things. And what we realized was that um, it was taking a little bit longer to get people to where they needed to be. And so we are going to be opening up our, our own facility where we can say yes immediately every single time somebody wants to get into recovery. But I will tell you that I've been doing this for 11 years and every time somebody asks to get help and to find freedom, the answer has always been yes. And God has provided and meet every single need that we've had. It's good to know that people can have an exit plan. Absolutely. And then there's going to be something there for them, you know, when they do reach out. Can you think of a moment which has really marked you whilst you have been doing this work? Because you said you've been doing it for 11 years. And so you've had a lot of moments. Mm -hmm. But is there one or two particular ones that really have spoken to you that have just, again, maybe cemented, Lord, this is the reason why you brought me into this ministry. And thank you. And I am all in even more now than I was before. I think of two people off the top of my head. Um, the first one is actually an ex-pimp. So there was a crack house that we used to show up to every single week for years. And there was a gentleman there that was the head of the house. And I would show up every single week and we would get out of the car and he would come outside with some of the women in his home and we would hold hands and pray right outside of the crack house. 
And every single week we'd come and we'd share the gospel. We remembered their names. We remembered who their children were. We asked how their families were. And one day this gentleman pulled me aside and he said, Lindsay, I am not living right. This is all I've ever known. This is what my granddaddy did. This is what my daddy did. This is what I was groomed to do. I've never done anything different. Will you please help me? And I said, yeah, what do you need? And he said, I need a job. I need an actual job where I'm expected to show up and I'm doing actual work. And I said, okay. So we got him a job. I think the first one was painting office buildings. And so about four weeks in, he said, I love the job. It's not enough. I need another job. I need something to occupy my mind and my time. And I was like, okay. So we found him a second job. And now this time he was cleaning the office buildings after hours. And so a few weeks goes by, maybe a few months, and he comes back and he says, I love both jobs. I'm doing great. I'm excelling, but I need one more. There's still a lull in my time. So we got him a third job. And after the third job, he had realized that he had so much more to offer the world than pimping out women. Hmm. He had so many more skills that he had never tapped into before and so much more value. And he came to me and he said, I love my jobs, but I I can't do them anymore. And I said, what do you mean you can't do them anymore? And he said, I need to move out of the city. I can't live here anymore. I need to leave the state. Will you help me? And I said, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? So what we did is we worked out a plan and we moved him out of the state and we got him three more jobs. And he has been working those three jobs for seven years now. He's married. He's a homeowner. He's going back to school and he stays in touch with me all the time. He asked me to officiate his wedding. I mean, it's just, it, it is night and day different from the man who looked me in the eyes and said, this is what my granddaddy did. This is what my daddy did. This is all I've ever known to now this man knows who God is. I mean, if you can set a pimp free, you're essentially setting 15 to 20 women per day free. It was, it was an incredible journey. And I think of him all the time. And I'm always so tickled when he reaches out and gives me a life update on where he's at and what he's doing and just incredibly proud of just his strength. I mean, it takes a lot to leave everything you've ever known, whether it's good or it's bad, and figure out what you were truly meant to do in life. And then I think about a woman that I met the first six months that I had started our outreach program. So about 11 years ago. And we walked her um, through five stints at restorative care where she would call a hotline, we'd take her in, and then two days later, she'd leave. And then about nine months would go by and she'd be like, okay, I'm really ready. And we'd take her in and then she would leave. And we did this over and over and over until one time she called and she was like, no, I really mean it. I'm ready. I'm done. And we took her in and we walked with her every step of the way and we showed up and we mentored her and she said that she wanted to get on food stamps. So we helped her get on food stamps. She wanted to get on government assisted housing. So we helped her apply for that. She got her own house. She got her own job. She reconciled her relationship with all of her children. And now we still go and see her every single week and we take her and her family dinner every week. We provide their propane for their heating throughout the winter. We provide their dog food. We provide, I mean, we just, whatever her needs are, we took her to get a road test and she got her license. Someone on our team gave her and her husband one of their old vehicles to fix and to drive. I mean, it's just been an incredible journey. And now we're still friends and we talk to her every single week. And I remember her from 11 years ago and now I see her today. And I just believe that that is God's restoration plan for everyone that we reach. 
Amen. Amen. Lindsay, with that, I am going to request that we take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you that amazing question. We'll be back. Welcome back. And if you are joining us, this is the Candid Life podcast and I am your host, Lydia Gago. Today we are talking about all worthy of love. Lindsay, I just love those two stories that you shared about the practical way that you and members of your organization are reaching out because every single person is worthy of God's love. You know, I was wondering though, you know, how would people know that somebody is being trafficked? What are the telltale signs of that so that people know how to respond if they suspected something? I think there's a lot of signs that people could look for. Um, a few things would be, um, you know, if someone's in school, if they're underage and they have bruises or poor eye connection or malnutrition, um, just taking a, an extra step to have a conversation, ask somebody how they're doing, if they're okay, if they feel safe at home. Um, I think a, a lot of women that we work with have been to hospitals. And so we do a lot of education for um, nurses and doctors and medical support staff, where we teach them to, you know, if they're uncomfortable when their partner is in the room with them, if they are unwilling to be left alone, if somebody's keeping them there, if Every time they're asked a question, they look at somebody else to answer it for them. If they don't really have, you know, taking that initiative to speak up for themselves. Um, you know, my expertise in the field that I work within is working with individuals that are soliciting sex on the street. And so I work with individuals entangled in street prostitution. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that I, most all of them, I would say 99.9% .9 of them are addicted to drugs. And so recognizing um, addiction and what, toll that takes on families and individuals and individuals that are homeless and, um, you know, marginalized, the individuals that are often most overlooked by society are the ones that need the most empathy and love and for somebody just to take a minute and ask them how they're doing. You know, my, my number one question is, what can I do for you? Um, which is funny, you know, I mean, that's what Jesus asked when he was with Bartimaeus is, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, heal my sight. And Jesus said it was done and it was done. And so I think um, asking more people, what, what do you want me to do for you? And having those conversations with people. And then they can visit our website, allworthyoflove.org, allworthyoflove.net. Um, and we have a ton of signs and can information that people can look up and educate themselves. Um, but I would just say being aware of your surroundings, looking at the people that most of us often just drive by because they're the ones that need someone to stop and say, Hey, do you need something? What can I do? So really just you? making yourself available, asking those simple questions. How are you? Yeah. And, 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 and I just love that about looking people in the eyes, right? Mm -hmm. the, the eyes are the window to the soul. Absolutely. <laughs> the other night, my, I was driving home. I took my four-year-old out on a little ice cream date, just the two of us. And I was stopped at a stop sign and there was somebody in the median that was asking for help. And I do outreach on Mondays and this was on a Sunday and I had a few things in my car. And I, without even thinking about the impact of my four-year-old in the backseat, I just rolled down my window and I said, Hey, what's your name? And he told me his name. I said, I'm Lindsay. It's really nice to meet you. I have some lunches and some hygiene kits. Do you need anything? And he was like, oh, I would really love some hygiene. I would really love a toothbrush and a toothpaste. And I said, I have that. 
do you want to lunch also? Do you want a few of them? And he was like, yeah, I would love that. I rolled up my window and that was that. And when I kept driving and I personally didn't think much of it, but my four-year-old had a thousand questions for me the rest of the drive home and was like deeply impacted by this encounter. And here's the difference. In 20 years, he's not going to say he was taught not to look at homeless people in the eye. He's going to say, I've never known not looking a homeless or anyone in the eye. And I think that the next generation is going to be one of the greatest forces that um, my friend Juliana always says this, the greatest force that the Christian church will ever see. And I think that, um, you know, we just need to set the example and start doing the good work that the Lord has asked us to do by making ourselves available. Amen. That's so good. But your son noticed that just rolling down that window, asking that question, asking the name. I think that is such a powerful thing because it's so easy to go past somebody who's homeless and just throw the money in and walk away. You forget they are a person, but when you stop, you look them in the eye and you ask them their name, you literally saying you are valuable. So when you engage in that name asking, it's a very powerful connection. Dale Carnegie says that the sweetest sound to the human soul is the sound of their own name. Yes. We were driving here in Austin. I do outreach out here on Mondays. And I remember when we first started, we pulled up to this woman, we rolled down our window and I said, Hey, would you like a free lunch? Do you want any personal care kit? And she just flat out ignored me. And I was like, Hey, I'm Lindsay. What's your name? And she said, my name's Karen. And I said, Karen, would you like a free lunch? And she just turned around and she walked to my car and she immediately started weeping. Mm. So the next week I drove by and I looked for her and I couldn't see her. Two weeks later, I stopped at the same spot and she was there. And I rolled down my window and I said, Karen, it's Lindsay. And she turned around and just immediately started crying. And she said, you remembered my name? And I said, it was important to me. Of course I remembered your name. And she was just in tears. And it was like, Every wall that she had ever built up just crumbled just because I remembered her name. I mean, there's a reason why we get a new name when we go to heaven. And it's because our identity is so valuable in who we are and what we're called by. And so I think that it changes everything. It does. That's powerful. And I think we all need to recognize that every single person has a name and it's for a reason. And when you talk about all the walls started crumbling down. It's because they recognized that they were valuable. Somebody didn't just look at them and say it was an it. It was that they had a name. And so that matters. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so just to wrap things up, Miss Lindsay, you know, as somebody who's dedicated her life to reaching out to the most vulnerable amongst us, both victims and perpetrators as well of human trafficking. What does it mean for you to live the candid life? It means to just follow the Lord with an open heart and an open mind and a willing spirit. And where he goes, I'm going to follow him. And it's not always going to be convenient. And it's not always going to be where I want to go. But I trust that if I follow him, that he's going to lead me and continue to show me that all are worthy of his love. That's great. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Tell us again, how can people connect with your organization? Allworthyoflove.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, at allworthyoflove. Pray for us on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We have over 280 outreaches every single year, and our team covets your prayers. Mm -hmm. Tell us again, you know, where, because you are based in Texas, 
I'm um, in Texas. Yes, you're in Texas. What other parts of the states do we have this organization reaching? We're in three cities in Michigan. We're in Indianapolis. We're in Austin, Texas. And we are in the launching phase of South Africa in Cape Town. And I'm actually going there next month. And we'll be um, looking at some future prospective places of land to have a safe house for women in South Africa. So we're very excited about what the Lord's doing um, in our organization and with launching House 24 in Metro Detroit. So we're really excited about what's to come. Thank you so much. Lindsay, can you go ahead and just pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people out there. And again, you've mentioned, you know, trafficking people who are vulnerable. We've got yeah. a lot of vulnerable people out there uh, who need a touch from the Lord, but who also need somebody who's going to come alongside them, who know them by name. Mm. Right. So if you could just pray uh, for our listeners and for those who need to get involved with this organization, but those who are also affected mm. by the challenge of trafficking, please, if you could. Um, Father Gradish, thank you so much, Lord, that you created each one of us with a innate desire to love and to be loved and to serve and to give. And God, I just pray that there would be a unity amongst the church, a unity amongst the people, God, a unity amongst this world, Father, that we would reach and just love and just serve those in our own communities, God, that we would really have a deeper awareness and understanding of what it means to love our neighbors, to look people in the eye, God. And in return, Father, I just pray that, Lord, you would show every single person listening to this, God, what that calling for their life looks like, God, that you would take them by the hand and you would reveal to each person's heart what it is that you would have them do to make a difference in this world, God. Father God, I just pray for those that are currently living in bondage, God, that you would send forth more laborers, God that you would ekbalo laborers into the harvest, Father God, that you would proclaim liberty to the captives, Father God, that you would call forth people who are still in bondage, God, and you would set them free. Mm. Father, I pray that every single one of us listening would be one of those willing people to proclaim that liberty, God. And I just ask that you bless each person listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lindsay, thank you again for coming on The Candid Life. Family, thank you for listening to this podcast. And please, please reach out to All Worthy of Love. The work that they are doing is life-changing. Connect with me on livethecandidlife at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at Lydia Gago. And of course, listen to the podcast on the popular platforms. Subscribe and share with friends and family so that you will be inspired, challenged and empowered to do differently so that you can impact your generation and the next. Until next time, remember your story matters because you matter. So live the candid life 24-7. God bless you. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.